Hello, friends. My name is Steve, and welcome to the Friday Conversation. We're here with some friends, and uh, Dwayne, you want to kick us off with an introduction, please? Sure. Uh, my name is Dwayne. I am a Bostonian, is what I claim. I was actually born in Barbados. I am a novelist, uh, filmmaker, and I currently reside in Los Angeles, California. Nice. We'll get into all that, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Chris. My name's Chris Mullins, sometimes YouTuber, sometimes appear on other channels, and uh, Dwayne's uh, kind of like, bit that he's given there at start sounds like, you know, the character that I would write in one of my novels, if I ever was to write one, <laughs> you know, that's the kind of background and life story that they, they might have, you know, so, yeah, glad to be here. Yeah, yeah we were talking a little bit, Dwayne, about the the strike, and hopefully that gets resolved soon, because it's been going on almost what, f- almost four months? Almost four months, yeah. it's It's been really tough um, on a lot of people mm. in town and a lot of my co-workers, myself included. We were supposed to start back work in May and um, no work, no money, no nothing. And not just for the writers, for the actors as well. Mm. So it's it's been it's been a challenge. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I think some people forget that it's not just the people on screen, it's the people behind this, like people who do lighting and who do 100%. audio and who do, you know, who clean up after, who do the sets. I mean, there's a lot of people involved. It affects a lot of people. 100%. Um, and it, it extends even to the businesses that are around those those studios, um, the restaurants, everything else, like they, they, they're all being impacted. So it's, yeah, the town is having a very difficult time right now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, for people who haven't listened to our interview already, but tell us about Androne for those of for those yes. few people who haven't. Yet. Um, Androne is a science fiction novel. It was published on September first, so this month um, is currently September. So um, September first, and it is give you a brief synopsis without trying to ruin it. It's the story of a drone pilot. And in the near future, drones aren't just in the air. Drones are also on land. They're aquatic drones. They're quadrupedals, we call them, which are four-legged drones. And then there's a different type of land drone, which we called an and drone, which is built in the human image, two hands, two feet. And this is supposedly to prevent casualties in war. Um, and one of our and drone pilots discovers something very nefarious about the nature of the war that they're fighting so in a nutshell that is androne and it is um it's out now please yeah definitely go check it out i can kind of see warfare going that way going to more of a drone a drone approach i i could see it i could see it i think that um in ukraine right now their drones are i mean one one of the most prominent forms of attack for both sides and i see the stuff with boston dynamics i don't know if you guys have seen those videos um where they have that that four-legged uh animal like uh, machine and then terrifying terrifying it can do (laughs) backflips it can you know swing on you know so there's there's a possibility of a future with drones being in in that um operating in that way and in fact the boston dynamic stuff is one of the i wouldn't say motivations but sort of inspirations of what an android might be able to do or what what a machine like that would be able to do if piloted by a person 
is it the case when when you're planning a book like that 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 that's something that's cooking for a long time. You know, you see that because those Boston Dynamics film videos have been around for you know a long yeah. time now. You the very first yeah, one that came out, people were like, "It's it's because it's true and so canny, and it, it kind of germinates over over a period of time." Then, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, I think. Well, I start this idea started for me way back, like a while, a while back. Um, I wanted to do it as as a screenplay originally. So I do think, like you said, it has been germinating for a very long time, and I can't remember when I first started seeing those videos. Um, but the process in transitioning it from what I thought was a film into a book, that was the, that was the real challenge. Um, because again, it was all visual. It was all visual. It was all just images in my head. And, um, it took, took a little while to, uh, to get it from the screenplay format to, uh, to a book. I would imagine it's a lot more words for a book than it is a screenplay. <laughs> That's when I write, when I used to write, I used to write um, only screenplays, right? Back in the day, I would write spec screenplay after spec screenplay, and I'm sort of transitioning now into books. And the word count, I mean, to rewrite a book, to rewrite a screenplay, it, it could take me a few days. In fact, on our show, our show is Fire Country, I'll give that a plug too. Fire Country, um, it takes us, they give us three days sometimes to write the entire screenplay. Um, and it's wow. six, it's about, hmm. no, it's not even 60 pages, it's about 45 pages because of commercial breaks in between. Um, but, you know, that's 15 pages a day. We can finish the entire teleplay, television screenplay, um, in three, four days. But, a novel, my God, like it, it takes, for me especially, because I'm not a fast writer, I've never been a fast writer, it takes me a long time to, uh, to write a screenplay, so, I mean to write a, a novel, so yeah, a lot, a lot more words, a lot more pain, a lot more suffering um, <laughs> in writing a book. But uh, the creative process, interestingly, like if you were to start, start another novel tomorrow, Dwayne, mm-hmm. for instance, does the thought kind of start with as because your day to day work and your your workflow would be writing a screenplay? Is it the case of writing nearly as a visual thing and then trying to make that appear on a page as a written novel, or do you start as a novel with descriptive text and all that kind of stuff? That's a great question. I think I think now now that I I've sort of entered the world of books, and I and when I say enter the world of books, I really have. Like, it's a whole different world. It's a whole new thing. Um, just understanding, like, and I'm, I'm not answering your question at the moment. I'm sort of <laughs> segwaying. I'll try to get back to you. <laughs> find find your way to it. <laughs> but, like, like, Goodreads, I prom- like, six months ago, I knew it existed, but I had never used it. I just recently got a Goodreads account and how important Goodreads is and um, vocabulary like arc. What is an arc? I had never heard that word before six months ago. And just the whole, the whole book world has, has sort of been flooding into my brain, a lot of, a lot of information on that. So, um, and I knew this would happen. So I, I forgot your original question, but uh, you said that again. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you're because your day to day work is, is is writing a screenplay. Does the, go thought screenplay turn the screenplay into a book, or can you go thought into let's go descriptive text right. rather than kind of have that middle step? Right. So it was like that for my first novel, but I think now as my book agent and I are now talking about a um, a new book. Um, as I finish up, because right now I'm working on the second book of Andron is a two book series. So I'm working on the nice. second book of the Andron series. Um, and now we're talking about starting a new book. I am think of it, thinking of it entirely like a book, formatting and structuring it like a book. Um, just because screenplays, when I structure a screenplay, it's very lean. Like it's sort of just the facts. Get to this beat, get to that beat, get to that beat. There's 90 minutes. You can't spend an entire chapter just lazing out on someone's, you know, thoughts on something or the description of, of a flower, right? I, um, in a screenplay, it's like boom, 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 boom. Um, and not completely, but compared to a book, it's definitely hitting those beats, hitting those moments, hitting that structure. Um, in, a, in a novel, you can sort of let it hang out a little bit more. So... That's how that's how I'm approaching this this new one. Hmm. Yeah, you, you mentioned the commercial breaks. Do you write around commercial breaks? Yes, for television play uh, for teleplays on CBS. So we're on CBS as opposed to an HBO show. Where in an HBO show they probably wouldn't be doing that. Um, hmm. But on our show, yes, right before the commercial, something is going to happen that will hopefully bring you back um, after that commercial break. So we try to end those on cliffhangers. We structure it in five acts and there's a teaser and at the end of the teaser, there's something to pull you back and then act one, act two and so on. So that's how we structure it. While I think on an HBO show, they probably drop the, the hook at the end of the episode. While our episodes usually wrap up neatly. So there's no, usually no hook at the end of our episodes, unless it's the season finale, then we drop a hook there. Hmm. So it's a lot of, a lot of different that... structural styles for different shows and different networks. Netflix would be different than ABC would be different than other places. When you, when you wrote the novel, did you use the same techniques between chapters or did you find yourself using that like during breaks? I think so. I think I tried. I, I think I tried. There's some, there's some chap at the end of chapters. I mean, if you try to do that every chapter, it would probably get old. Um, so I, I couldn't do it yeah. every time, but I tried to have some, you know, end on, on a note that whether, whether it be emotional or action, that would try to, try to bring someone back. So to a degree, I would say. I I did that, yeah. I'm still very impressed by your your backgrounds there, because every time I look at your screens, I see the the books neatly stacked. I look at my screen, the back of my screen, I see a TV and some shoes hanging out there in the background. It's just it's really bad. I, I need to work on that. Just keep looking straight on, Twin. See okay. if you look left or right, and then it, it's, it's exactly the same as everybody else's. You know, <laughs> I have a stack okay. here. Yeah, it's it's it's, okay. it's uh, yeah, it's not good. I have a shelf here to my left. You know, that's not put up in the wall, and yeah, every room is the same. That makes me feel good. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <good. 
Yeah, it's a it's a mess. And just the shelf. If I move a little bit, you'll see the disaster that my shelf is. So I have to <laughs> okay. sit in a certain place. Yeah, don't let, don't let the backgrounds fool you. It's all all right. Amazing. Yeah. For um, well, how has your how has your experience been with since your uh, since we last talked? What have what's been happening with your with your book? Um, well, there's it's really been trying to market it as much as possible. I've watched the sales drop from the initial we had initial pop and they've sort of gone down and you know it's to be expected i um beyond that i've been trying to work on my website and i created a website for myself that was trash and i finally decided to stop being cheap and pay somebody to uh to work on the website for me so i've been working on that and just trying to trying to work on the second novel as much as possible. As I, as I dip into the uh, Amazon comments and the Goodreads comments, people are, people are brutalizing, you know. It's, it's tough, it's tough in, those, in the comment section. So I've been, I've been trying to learn, you know, from that a little bit. And I, maybe I shouldn't be reading the comments, but I've actually seen a couple comments and I'm like, that's fair, that's fair. Um, so as I write, I think it's, you know, writing's a journey and, and you learn and I am learning and I'm trying to implement some of those things into the second novel. So a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on, but, um, yeah, I'm going along with it. But your day job also has got a similar kind of feedback mechanism as well. I mean, obviously there's ratings that you can use for, for TV as well, but people yeah. will review your stuff online in much the same way. Yes. Is it different when it's personal versus professional? 150 percent i'll say especially for film there are so many other people that can take blame for that episode that i can hide behind right like there's a director <laughs> the, the actors it's crew there's the editor there's you know there's so many different things where i can say and especially being in a writer's room there's you know there's what eight of us seven of us and i don't you know i don't live that way that i would blame it on anyone but in a novel, there is, it's solely focused on the writer, as opposed to on a TV show, there's quite a few other people that, you know, um, they might point to and say that this person didn't do a good job or this, that person didn't do a good job. Mm -hmm. So I, I usually don't, um, it's, it's a little harsher, it's a little tougher on, on the book side that, than it is uh, on TV. Yeah. I like I've used just like yeah, just like every other job, you just blame the person that's not in the room at the time. You go, Oh, or somebody that's just left. Yeah. Oh, man, they dropped the ball on that one, you know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's tough. I, I that's why I admire, you know, especially authors, because like you said, there's nowhere to hide behind, and I, I don't know, I don't know if I can handle it personally. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, because I'm sure the the good reviews are like, oh wow, like I'm, you know, that's great, and then you get even like the lukewarm reviews is like, you know, let's be a bummer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, lukewarm. I actually I don't mind. I, again, if, if someone is, there was one review I read. This is an interesting one, and I guess people have different scales of things. Sure. He, he gave me a pretty if you read the review it sounded pretty good 
Then he gave me three stars, and I was like, "That sounds at least like a four star." <laughs> like, so different people have different <laughs> levels of how they they rate things. The guy, I mean, it was only complimentary, and then I got three stars. I was like, "Wow, that's, that should have been a four or five. But um, I don't know. I, I I don't concern myself with it too much anymore. Um, it bugged me in the very beginning, but I had a talk with my agent. I um, I'm over it now, and. Uh, <laughs> moving on <laughs> moving on to different stuff do you guys and I know that you know you guys focus a lot on on sci-fi and fantasy is that sort of where you guys live mostly in your reading habits I, I would say for me yeah I'm trying to branch out a little bit just because like you can sort of get bogged down and, and nearly see but you know when you read too much or watch too much of the same thing you yeah. start to not treat it for its own right you start to pick it up within the genre and you kind of yeah. it sometimes destroys the, the whole experience for you but if I'm looking for a comfort something that's in comfort it's sci-fi fantasy for sure sci-fi fantasy mm-hmm. is there a preference there between science fiction and fantasy or that's a good it... question I, I, I would have always said fantasy but sci-fi has been a very nice um it's a freshness. There's a freshness of sci-fi, I think, that, 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 that appears that I think sometimes fantasy can kind of, within the first 10 pages, go, oh, it's this type of book, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and not to say that that's bad or something, but it's like, okay, but if I want something, pick up the book from the cover or something, I go, oh, I wonder what this world's like. Um, the sci-fi it seems to give a lot more variety in that way, off the page, mm-hmm. anyway. What I've noticed, and I don't, you guys are probably far more well-versed on this than me, um, <laughs> uh, but I've noticed overall sales. I've, again, I, I'm really now trying to learn about the the book industry and genres and everything else. And which genres sell? Again, this is something I never knew. But different genres sell at different rates, and there are mm-hmm. different expectations for a sci-fi book as opposed to a fantasy book, as opposed to. Um, like a thriller with a female lead type book, mm-hmm. which according to some, some of my agent and some others, that's almost the peak. Um, like the girl mm-hmm. in the window or the girl on the bus or the girl on the plane. One of the, a book like that tends to outsell almost everything else, which was, again, that you guys, this is no, no news mm-hmm. to you, but this is all very surprising to me. Not in a bad way, just like, oh, okay, so that's, and what I've noticed also is I chose a genre that's kind of at the bottom of the sales chart, right? Like if your name, <laughs> if you have a big name in sci-fi, you can earn a lot of money. That's fine. But generally what I've learned is even fantasy tends to sell better than sci-fi overall. Um, have you guys sort of, now I'm like, man, maybe I shouldn't be writing sci but. <laughs> I wonder if there's like in your groups in your circles is there that preference as well is it t- does it tend to be more fantasy loving than sci-fi I I, I sort of come at this from a slightly different original viewpoint because I like I, my YouTube channel is about movies and books actually secondarily right okay. and one of the things i really liked about going into the book sphere is that it is very much more broad across the sexes you know movies tend to be whether it's creators or people that comment or other it's very very male centric 
you know, mm. in terms of, of the kind of viewership that you get, the kind of reaction you get. Whereas I would say fantasy, even more so than sci-fi, is very broadly mixed, male, female. Mm. And having those, that kind of equal food point, I think that's what I see, if you know what I mean, from that point of view. Sci- yeah. Sci-fi still tends to be a bit male-focused, although I would say some of the, the very best sci-fi channels that are females, actually, as it turns out, uh, in a lot of ways. So there, it does go across, but I think it is still seen as a male kind of... Hobby. A lot of the archetypes and characters that I see are male central characters, if, if that makes mm. sense, and therefore mm. written by men and stuff. So gotcha. I don't know if that plays into it at all, but that, that's just what I see when I read. That's very interesting. Mm. That is very very interesting. Huh? Yeah, I wonder about the like the the barrier of entry for a genre like sci-fi. If it's different for if someone who's new to the genre, how likely are they to pick up a sci-fi book versus picking up something like a nonfiction or something like a what's what's been adapted recently or the book that's on everyone's book book club list that's usually like YA or yeah. uh, maybe romance adjacent I guess I mean a lot of people write read romance yes so I kind of wonder what that barrier is and who is reading sci-fi and fantasy or I think fantasy has has gotten more popular because of stuff like Game of Thrones and mm-hmm. you know people were like oh I didn't know fantasy was like I thought it was like washboard abs and a sword and a dude with long hair like fabio or something so maybe um you know i I wonder you know why why people will be more open to something like fantasy than they would be sci-fi or if that is if that even is the case it is really surprising um i've again this is just in conversations with agents and editors and other people and um the uh I can't even I can't even think of the name of this thing, but like the not the publisher, but under the publisher that we are under, we do sci-fi and fantasy. Um, and what's the, there's a word for that? I, I can't even I can't even think. Um, of it. Uh, like the um, publisher, like the editors, or um, no, it's like like a publishing house, that kind of thing. That's like that oh, type it's of thing, right. house, that kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway, they, they only do sci-fi fantasy. Their fantasy always sells out, outsells their sci-fi. Like they, they mentioned that to me. They were like, don't worry about it. It's a normal thing. Um, we usually do more fantasy than sci-fi, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it, it was just surprising to me that that was the, uh, that that was the case. I always... So I'll, I'll tell you guys, I've never read a fantasy book. Um, Ooh, I've, I only, I'm only into sci-fi. Um, sci-fi is it's my jam I love science fiction uh, I did watch Game of Thrones and was surprised by how good Game of Thrones was um, but I had never really gotten too deep into uh, fantasy and I do I did get my first fantasy book and I will read one but I, I'd never been into fantasy that much and I think it is what you're saying Chris maybe there needs to be that show that thing that brings people into the science fiction genre more if game of thrones did it for fantasy maybe something like foundation which was originally a book but foundation can do it for science fiction or something else yeah i mean you can you can play the same kind of question for tv for sure like mm. Nine, nine out of ten things in TV are crime, murder, dramas, investigation yes. sort of things. Even when they're not p- police procedurals, they are something that kind of lives in that world. Like I watched something like, uh, what was it, Poker Face or something, that is like a detective show. She's not a detective, but it's a sleuthy kind it's, of thing. Yeah, yeah. But 
you know, it still follows that formula uh, for that. How many sci-fi shows can you think of? Like, you, you sort of have to go to Foundation, which is pretty heavy even for me. Uh-huh. To, to, to be saying that's that that's 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 a watchable show for me and my wife to sit down and watch you know i even yeah. think of we somebody had asked me recommend me a good sci-fi movie from the past 10 years mm. and i'm recommending mm. ad astra which i think you know is a great movie but it's quite heavy in terms of theme and tone as well yeah you know it, it's not as easy to get into it even expansive three you read recently the tv show first two series kind of heavy in it but you know a bit difficult to get into for a lot of ordinary people who you haven't read in the genre etc so right, right. there needs to be an entryway show that's not star trek if, if that makes sense yes um that is much more soap opera i suppose than, than sci-fi I don't, I don't know i don't if, the, if i had the answer i'd be a rich man and wouldn't be sitting on a friday night in my, in my, <laughs> my back room talking about these kind of things but 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 i think it's a problem right across all True. media very, very true. And some of the great science fiction shows. Um, I was talking to Steve about Dark. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's a Netflix show. Um, and it's, in my opinion, one of the great examples of science, great science fiction. But yeah, brilliant. it was very niche. Not many people have seen it. I can't have many conversations with people about it. I just never, it was, it was too much. Like you said, heavy. There is a heaviness to some of the concepts um, and big ideas that, that live in science fiction. And what is very surprising is that, not surprising, but surprising to me, someone who loves big ideas, is that the biggest sci-fi shows and movies tend to just have one simple little thing and everything else is normal. Hmm. Um, it's just one, you know, like even the Marvel movies, it's like, okay, there's this magical, there's this super of armor and he gets into it and that's the, that's the science, that's the science fiction element and everything else is the same. And that's, you know, it's not too heavy for people to sort of grab onto. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. What is a, a good science fiction movie from the past 10 years? That difficult. is a great question. I have the worst memory of anyone else. I, I, I mentioned this show, this film before. Um, what was that film that I mentioned with um, the aliens? Arrival. Um, I enjoyed Arrival. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Um, that came out a few years ago. But yeah, there's, there's, there's mm. not that many. And I think, and this is no disrespect to Marvel. I know there are a lot of Marvel people who represent Marvel in a, in a big way. But in the... In the, in the film industry, like the spec market, which is speculative screenplays, they, it, it is dried up. Everything is now, not everything, but most things are based on existing IP. They don't want to take risk on new mm-hmm. ideas. And there have been a lot of people with great sci-fi scripts that are just, you know, they're not based on anything. They're original ideas that have just died. And I think to a degree, that is the marvelization of, of the industry, and that's that's part of the reason I think why we haven't gotten any that many good original science fiction uh, films in the past ten years, which is sort of the span of Marvel's dominance to a degree. Um, I would say though, I'm hopeful for the creator, which comes out in a couple weeks. I don't know if you guys saw the trailer for oh, that. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But it seems to be original sci-fi, so that's that's uh, yeah. yeah. 
I'm going through my letterbox. Right, here's a couple. Okay, good. Good, good. You got the the Walking Phoenix film Her. That's her. Um, is is brilliant, which basically just within the ten years because 2013. Okay. Uh, I have a a very great fondness for the Benson Moorhead movies, things like The Endless. Uh, resolution, mm-hmm. etc. They're kind of indie movies. Like the end, I haven't just, seen those. Uh, okay. Blows my mind. I, I love those. Uh, okay. Something in, in the dirt, uh, etc. Uh, what else? How is the something here? in the dirt? Is that like, really good? Something in the it, dirt. I, I, it's nowhere near the level. It's not nowhere near the level. I think of endless or even okay. that, that word that they created with the, the culprit. But I like their filmmaking at, at all. And I also think a lot of sci-fi movies now fall into sci-fi horror. There's a lot mm-hmm. of, like horror is still a genre that sells oh, yeah. in the cinema. Like if I look at my oh, listings yeah. in the cinema, it is animation, superhero, horror, and nothing else. Week yeah. on week on week on week. So a yeah. lot, a lot of that kind of stuff translates to that. So like you'll have stuff like Megan and stuff that came out recently mm. that's oh, yeah. sort of sci-fi-ish. Um, I would even say that the, like Jordan Peele stuff is sci-fi-ish yeah. in, in a way. That's true. Um, that's true. And uh, yeah. Okay. So. Okay. Good. You have. It's good that you have a list. Uh, we need a list. <laughs> yeah. You do need a list. That's, that's it. <laughs> it's hard to remember so, sometimes. Uh, so everything gets blurred together, and things. There's this. I'm going to use another lization word. There's a McDonaldization of um, of entertainment. Sometimes it's like you eat it and you move on. It's like what's next. Um, mm. Well, back in the day, you know, we, we had classics, movies that we would watch and rewatch. They would come on TV and we would watch it and, and we'd buy it on VHS and we would watch it and we would rewatch it over and over. And that, at least for me, and I, I think I've gotten caught up in it a little bit, it sort of slipped away from me. I haven't been rewatching those movies over and over again. Uh, mm. Mad Max is one I should put up there. I, I really enjoyed Mad Max. Mm. Possessor. Oh, Possessor's really that's horrible. Yeah. That's, oh that's, yeah, it's really wow. good. It's really, really good. Yeah. Anything yeah. by any Cronenberg uh will do. Uh, the body horror stuff always closer, yeah. pushes yeah. me away a little bit. I, I I that's that was sort of my that's why I didn't try it. I was like I heard body horror and I was like I don't know. Yeah, it's body horror. <laughs> okay. It's, it's brutal, definitely though. body horror, yeah. 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 Brutal. Uh, yeah. Alex Garner stuff as well. The Ex Machina. Uh, mm. and the yeah, yeah, yeah. Ex Machina is, is pretty, amazing. Oh, yeah. It's really, really, yeah. Good. really, really good. Yeah. So, is the okay? Is the, how can I word this? With 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 a lot of the and I hate to pick on Marvel. I'm not a fan, but um, and a lot of people are. Is the is the easily consumable uh, content? Is that contributing to the the the, st- the people who make who do make these 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 decisions risk averse because it takes a little bit of thought and um, it challenges sometimes an audience. Is that part of it? Is that it's it could be challenging. It's not just easily digestible, and you move on. You're saying the non-Marvel films? Oh, the is the the Marvelization of the industry is is because because it, it is. I mean it's popular because it's it's easily digestible i mean yes. you you watch it and you know it's it doesn't take a whole lot of thought i mean it's people punching each other for two hours uh-huh. is is that part of is that part of the reason why they, they become risk averse 
I think so, and I think the success of it, um, just the outright blatant, like there was a while where Marvel, it didn't matter. Like you slap Marvel on it, and it was successful. <laughs> so um, yeah. those movies made just everyone, every one of them were making a billion dollars. And in addition to that billion, the thing about Marvel that was also helpful is you can slap it on lunch boxes, you're selling toys, um, stickers, little pendants. So there's so much more money generated out of that. Um, they were making so much money that, yeah, everyone wanted a franchise, sequels, lunch boxes. It was, it was just so much money beyond, like you said, the, the, um, it was pretty, pretty simple and straightforward um, that no one wanted to take a risk on something that might be the next Star Wars or the next Matrix, which were original ideas when they originally came out. Um, so, yeah, why, uh, why spend a hundred million? Because the thing about sci-fi usually is that it's you're going to spend about a hundred million dollars making that movie, if not a lot more. So they want to be guaranteed money coming back in return. Yeah. yeah. Look, we we live in a world where a Brandon Sanderson adaptation is considered a risk. Like one mm, of the most wow. phenomenally successful authors in the world, and yes. his his movies are considered a risk by Hollywood. So right. I think our bemoaning <laughs> of, of other lesser IPs not getting their chance or otherwise is maybe maybe we're in a different headspace than right. the decision exactly. makers. <laughs> exactly. I heard recently. Yeah, he had a a TV show in development that fell apart. Like it's it's insane. Hmm. You need to be. You need to be basically be horror, and I think what you the the, the point you made with horror is really good. Horror can be because it's it's cheap, you know. Um, some of those horror movies you can make for five million, ten million dollars, and they'll make about fifty to a hundred million, and and that's that in itself is is a small success. So. And the best thing for most of those is they'll do that in opening weekend. They have a have a following that does it in one weekend. Yes. Makes that film profitable in one weekend yes. without it having a long tail, which means it's easy to commission another one of those. That's because those films drop off a cliff after three weeks. It's like true. Gone. It's true. And that's why <laughs> but, they come uh, to digital. There's always another one coming. Yes. Yeah. 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 Horror is a good way to go. Horror is a good way to to write. Yeah. Hmm. So as as a writer, it's a, it would be a good genre to get into if you write horror. One hundred percent, Justin. And this is sort of the the community that I sort of hang around with a lot of other screenwriters, and we talk about what specs we're working on, and a lot of them are are writing horror. Ten hmm. five to ten million dollar. Those sell because most writers don't own not most not no writers own Marvel, DC. Pixar, Star Wars, they don't own it, so they can't write any of those. So they'll write something worth $5 million that'll cost $5 million to make and try to sell it. You know, um, a, a cool, new, interesting idea like, what was that movie? Uh, Final Destination, like a Final Destination concept hmm. and write it for $5 million. And that usually gets traction in town and someone will either buy it or option it or something like that. Hmm. Yeah, and horror always has been actually a playground for fun and ideas, like in mm. general, because it didn't need it. It, 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 
creatives go towards horror, horror because it gives them the opportunity to be creative fun actually nearly you not have any money so what else how else can you do this so things like Blair Witch and etc are born out of that kind of yes that kind of world yeah yeah I think I think I will try to I did try to write a horror once didn't came out didn't come out too good I think I'm not made for horror it's not it's not a, a genre that I'm I'm good at because I I think I get grossed out easily. I, I, I get scared. Like, it's just not in me. Like, someone once showed me the bottom of a starfish. I almost died. Because I don't know if you guys have ever seen the bottom of a starfish. It's all these little tentacle things. I can't. I can't deal with that. I can't deal with that. So, I um, horror is not my genre. What a great twist it'll be if your first best-selling horror book is called The Bottom of a Starfish. <laughs> I know exactly where that came from. <laughs> Starfish horror. Yeah. My, my problem with books, uh, horror and books, I have never, and I'm not saying this is some bold statement, I've never been afraid in a book. It just mm. is not a medium that communicates terror. Like, it, it can be tense, for yeah. sure. Like, you can yeah. create tension but not in the same way that a film can convey it because often the film is doing it with multi-sensory. It's yes. not doing it just with visuals, it's doing it with sound, etc. And, you yes, know, there's a yes, lot of things yes. going on there to make it work. Whereas books, it doesn't matter if it's Stephen King or anybody, I'm never properly afraid. I've heard of people, like lots of people going, I can't read anymore. But that's that's not me. And I just think that's so difficult. To, to, yeah. Which film would you say has terrified you the most? Because I know for me it... Strangely, to me, it was The Grudge. The Grudge did it to me right, okay, yeah. in a way that other films hadn't before. Grudge is a good call. Uh, and that. Uh, most terrified I've ever been in a film. Um, there's the ones hmm. when you were sm- smaller. Like when I was the, yes. I watched The Terminator, idiot, right? And honestly, I have never been more. I don't think I've ever been as terrified in my entire life. Um <laughs> didn't tell my parents that I'd, I'd, I'd botched it or anything but it was one of those things but aside from that if I think about really great terrifying movies I think The Changeling the George C. Scott one from mm. 1980 I love mm. uh, it's creepy in all the right ways and the the one I always use from uh, from recently is that watching horror with headphones on is just the greatest thing because you are sensory okay. deprivation to the rest of it right so I watched okay. the film another independent movie called uh, After Midnight I've already mm. seen After Midnight, right? And it has a jump scare in it that, honestly, I was sitting beside my wife, and I describe it as it happened, and it started at the top of my head and wiggled my way away down the body. So my <laughs> 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 and my wife was beside me in bed just falling asleep, and went, what the hell happened? And I said, I'm not quite sure. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I lost control of my senses. It just kind of... It just overtook me in a second. I was trying to hold it together, but it just every bit I tried to control as it was moving down my body, the rest of it was falling apart. Yeah, uh, that is yeah. a great jump scare. It's not a scary movie in per se, but it has yeah, it's, it's brilliantly done. Mm. Scariest movie. Hmm, that's a tough one because I think there's different levels. Of, there's like unsettling, and there's scary like jump scares, and there's different types of scary. I think. <laughs> think of uh, I don't know that's a tough one because all the movies are unsettling or have really great like the witch has some great oh yeah it does yeah but it's it's, it's not like settling. a jump scare yeah, yeah it's like more of unsettling um, it sometimes I think less is more though too so 
So hereditary is a bit scary for prolonged periods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't say too much, but yeah, there's a certain section in that. There's a 15 minute section that's pretty. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's always uh, great when people don't tell you because when people tell you it's really scary. I don't know yes. if it's like I go in with a little bit more armor, but I, I, I never I never get that feeling unless I just happen to be flipping through Netflix and I watch something and then I get scared when I'm I'm not prepared for how how uh, how terrifying the film might be. So I always um, I try to know as little bit about a film as possible when I go in. The trailer problem. Why why trailers are yeah. never watched in my house pretty much unless it's. I happen across it by accident or something. Yeah. 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 I love that. Like something like uh, what is the film? What is isn't it Prometheus? You call it? Like I went in not Mm. knowing that was an alien movie. Like it was all over the market. And for like I I I I literally got to the end of that movie and went, oh my god, this is an alien movie. (laughs) Like the last fifteen (laughs) twenty minutes or something. I was like, right, wow, this is this is cool. This is this a whole different thing. So even though like was literally marketed the whole way when I went back and watched the trailers and stuff, it was like, well, this Uh is obviously, but it was just called Prometheus. I was like, well, I gotta say that must have been an amazing way to watch that movie, right? Yeah, it was. It was. That's almost a twist. If you don't know that's an alien movie. The ending of that, when you see that thing coming out, it must be, it's like a twist ending almost. Yeah, it was amazing. It was completely blown. It was like one of those ones you wanted to grab somebody and say, did you know? Because I didn't know. (laughs) 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 Was I the last person to know? Uh, The first Alien movie is another very good answer to what is the scariest movie Mm -hmm. that I've ever seen of all time. It's still, I still sometimes just put on the first 20 minutes of that movie, Mm -hmm. just late at night, just to get that feeling, that unsettling kind of Mm -hmm. foreboding yeah, that is a perfect 20 minutes of that movie. I love it. Well, in talking about that stuff... Just like, the transmission alone. The transmission? Oh, oh. The I'm, distress I'm, signal that they yeah, got? Yeah, they yeah. listened to. Even yeah. that alone was, you know, creepy. You notice how many times that's been stolen now from... Because I, I didn't... You know, the mm-hmm. first sci-fi movies I watched had that trope. And I was like, oh, wow, this is new and interesting. But no, it's it's been taken um, from from alien other films or books like it. Hmm. I I love that when I'm watching movies or reading books and 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 you see where the first time you've seen it or you've seen where it probably started from in some way. Sometimes in another genre and was morphed through and in, in somewhere else. You know, you see, and I think that's one of the nice things about modern day is that a lot of people are doing this cross genre kind of bits. So nearly pulling the rug out from somebody and saying you didn't think this was a horror book or you know something like that or you didn't realize this was going to be a crime novel or something like that but they mix the genres that can be yeah. really fun stuff i agree i agree i think horror so, horror comedy is one that's really popping up recently that's yeah that's so it's been doing a lot of yeah. interesting stuff yeah. speaking of where, where things started have you, either of you read neuromancer <laughs> because a lot of science fiction stuff came from neuromancer i <laughs> started mm-hmm. i did not finish interestingly enough um but no I, I haven't i haven't seen the full haven't read the full book no and i know i said i was a sci-fi guy i can see the disappointment on your face already <laughs> I, I didn't make it through either so you're fine <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, couldn't, I couldn't do it no, I, I didn't make it it was just it was too much it was 
a very challenging read. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the tough thing. And you know what? So I can talk. I've noticed that a lot of people in the sci-fi community like that element of it. I read a book recently. I won't say the name because it's a very famous book, a very famous writer. I don't need anybody mad at me. Um, but I didn't like it that much. And it was, it was hard sci-fi. And the book was, it was very much about the science. And the story mm. came secondary. It was a lot of science, a lot of scientific concepts. And I've noticed now with my book, people are like, yo, this, this is not scientifically accurate. Um, I'm like, yeah, it's science fiction. <laughs> um, it's, I, um, there's that fiction part of it that's not science. So I've noticed a lot of a lot, but a lot of readers, a lot of science fiction readers, want that hard sci-fi element. They want to know how it really works. Um, I use a scientific concept called um, quantum entanglement. And the amount of comments I saw about how that is not how quantum entanglement works exactly. <laughs> it's like, wow, man, you guys have, <laughs> I thought I was doing a good job researching it. I was, I was going through, I was like, okay, looking at all the research and putting it in. It wasn't enough for them. They, they, they wanted a lot more. So I, I've noticed that within this genre, there are people who want that stuff. They want that, um, that hard, deep science fiction knowledge um put into put into the uh the story into the narrative so for next time i might be one of those people <laughs> <laughs> especially if the big promises that's what it's going to be no, I, I, that, so I will name a book that, that does it right. So Three Body Problem I, I had read and the first half of the book is very much hard, hard, hard sci-fi and I was mm -hmm. loving it and then it veers away from it and tries to not be as hard sci-fi at that point. I was like, you can't do that. Yeah, You can't set this up and do it so well and then kind of introduce a fantasy element or anything like that on top of it. Like that is, you have broken the contract that you'd set right. up now. Exactly. You you can write a, f a science fiction book and kind of make up science and that's okay because that, that that's you have that commitment from the start or you can do a version of it or something but you can't you can't misrepresent it if you know what i mean in, in some yeah. way and change the tone of it and it's the tonal change of it i think there's the thing that bothered me some people mm -hmm. love that part of it like for sure but i was in it for the hard sci-fi and how well a great job it was doing up to a certain point it worked perfectly it was very clever it was all of those things and i'm like yes that is one uh, book that I really, really need to read. I've heard so much, so much about it, and I just never, mm. never picked it up. Now, you know why? Because I know what it's about. Um, I didn't, I had, I spoke to someone about it. They, they ruined it for me, but I asked them to ruin it. I was like, what's that? You know, and they, they went through it. So I, I do know the whole story, but um, mm. that's one that I need to read. Mm. But no, I mean, being, being a hard sci-fi lover is, is a good thing, I think. I just, I guess I need to do more research next time. I need to really dig in, dig hmm. in. I, that's, again, I, I'd say this every episode that we do of this with Steve. Another reason why I could never be an author. Like, honestly, I, I, can, I can see it and I can speak about it and I can think about it, but I can never actually execute it myself. Like, I'm very well aware of that, that part myself. Like, that is not... <laughs> I would get bored. If nothing else, I would get bored with the effort of trying to do it and, and be yeah. frustrated with myself and yeah, go, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I've sunk 
14 years of my day, this life I've written 800,000 words trying to fix it and we're giving up it's not right, right. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the toughest yeah, element the, creating um, a world that's consistent I think either with fantasy or sci-fi because um, yeah. there is to a degree I think the best fantasy probably has not science fiction but the, the fantasy element whatever it is makes sense in a way that's almost scientific yeah, yeah. We it reminds me of uh, we talked to uh, Michael J. Sullivan a couple weeks ago, and speaking of the readers and how closely they pay attention, when he forgets a certain character or certain events that happen, he actually asks his readers, and they know exactly <laughs> like better than he does uh, where they are or what the lesson that happened to them or if they've ever met this other character. How many so books? It's, it's, how many books are in the series? Oh, he has. Age 12, I think. 12, 13, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. And he keeps extensive notes himself, but he, and he does fine search. He has a group by theme and all of that kind of stuff, but there are times uh-huh. when he goes, what happened to this character? Or otherwise, uh, the John Palladino <laughs> talked about that as well. Mm-hmm. I feel that's not what he talked about when he sent it to this book to the editor. He says, I know you want this person dead, but you've killed him twice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, thanks. <laughs> I could see that. No, it, it it does get yeah, it gets tough keeping track of stuff, especially for me the little stuff. Um, killing a character, I don't know. I think I'd remember that, but it's yeah, it, it is it is tough to to keep it all in mind. I I, I definitely twelve books. I sympathize. I, I can barely keep it together for a couple chapters. So respect there. Hmm. To be fair to John, John kills a lot of characters, so it's not that's not it's not that major an event, right. you know, in 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 in, in, uh, in in single part, you know. Right, right. Yeah, he kills a lot of characters very fast in his uh, yeah. his his book. Yeah, so it's it's um. I, I wonder like, when you uh, when he adds you know science fiction to it. I wonder how you can just like let the reader know, hey, this isn't real. Like, don't don't fact check me. This is all just in my head. Mm. Instead of it being like, no, this is the way it really works. Or how will you yeah. go about that? It's tough because okay, so quantum entanglement is one of the most difficult to understand, mysterious elements in hard science, real science. Um, we don't quite have a grasp on it yet. In mm. you know, in 2023. So I thought, perfect. We don't quite understand it. And it kind of works in the way, like, so I, I figured it would be okay. <laughs> but um, <laughs> these, these guys, um, they, they really dug in. I, 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 think, <clears throat> I think a real, not a real, but the, the actual scientist. So I have a relative who works sort of in this field they thought it was fine because they themselves also say we have such little it's like dark energy or dark matter hmm. right we know yes. so little about it you can sort of bend it to your whatever whatever but it's i feel it's the the amateurs or people who don't quite study it on that level they've done their research and they believe they have a better understanding of it than maybe the people who actually do it. So they say that, um, but it didn't buy that. Those comments to me, 
I felt okay because they weren't talking about story or character or plot or any of those things. So I was like, I just found them interesting and amusing. Um, but also, I, I do th- it did motivate me to work a lot harder on the on the scientific elements in the next book, so that it is irrefutably um, correct. Not that it will be hard science fiction, but the next book, scientifically, I, I don't. They won't be able to uh, to mess with it too much. And still, I'll probably see comments about it. Look, I, I have a thing I say to my kids all the time. Just because it was in the internet and said in the internet out loud and somebody agreed with them doesn't make it true, right? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's very, very true. true. Yeah. yeah. Very true. How much time did you spend researching these different topics for, for your book? Um, I spent... I would say it the length of the time that I wrote the book because I would come across a concept or an issue that I would need to then stop and then start doing deeper research into. Um, for example, the military, um, military rank, military structure. There was a certain point where I would sort of hit a, not necessarily a wall, but I would need to stop and take a couple days and start researching how these things work, how the hierarchy works. Um, I didn't even know the, who was a sergeant, who was a lieutenant, who, you know, like all these, these little things, um, even the slang in the military, um, hmm. from calling someone Sarge or saying LT for lieutenant, hmm. like all these were, were little things that I, I had to sort of pick up along the way. So I think as I wrote the novel, it was like, I would go through, stop, pause, and be like, okay. I need to research this element because I don't outline the novel. I just sort of start writing and I don't really know where it's going exactly. Maybe I know the end point. I know the twist at the end. I know what the general idea is, but how this character interacts with this character, who falls in love with who, those things I don't know as I'm writing the first draft. So I sort of went as I go and researched as I go and uh, figured it out as I went. Probably not the best strategy, I would say. <laughs> There's no one way to do anything, Dwayne, that's for sure. And I am often surprised when I read a book, you enjoy a book or something, and somebody tells you about how it came together, and you went, I I would have conceived that actually this was done completely the opposite way, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But because of how it was put together and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and how it, it all seems to come together, like it was completely designed the whole time with yeah, the manipulative I mean, no. with points and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, no, I kind of did it as it was going along. And then I got the chapter and thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if, it, if this happened? And I'm like, okay, yeah, see, what do I know? <laughs> well, Stephen King, Stephen King says that he writes like that. He says that he doesn't know the ending, that he just goes and writes and creates as he goes. And hmm. he's, you know, he has some, some classics, some great um, novels. So. I, I would completely see how he doesn't do the ending in his books. That that is definitely something I would agree with. <laughs> but I, I, I adore Stephen King, but uh, I could do without the last. I could do without the last twenty percent of a lot of his books in mm, a lot of cases. That is yeah, true. But, that is true. You know, that's that not. That's not a. That's not an old opinion or otherwise. But yeah, you know, uh-huh. I, I think it's true for me. Uh-huh. <laughs> No, under, just I, read the say, I, I had yeah. that feeling I haven't read that much Stephen King but I did read Under the Dome and I did have that right. feeling at the end of Under the Dome I was like wait what 
<laughs> is that what happens at the end of this? Or is that how you're wrapping this amazing story in World Right, yeah, yeah. exactly. exactly. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. yeah, it's. I'm not a big King fan, so... You don't, you don't like his writing, really, Steve, do you? No. It's too, it, I kind of feel like he... Like he shows off sometimes. Like he he just like he goes off on these tangents, and you read like two pages about a bank sign that makes no difference to the story. Like, why am I reading about a bank sign and what it looks like and what it what it the time on the bank sign and how hot it is? And it's like, I don't care. Like, why are we wasting time on this? It doesn't mean anything. But I just think sometimes he's just he just like shows off. You know, he mm-hmm. just like does a three sixty when he could just you know lay it up. It's like. You know. <laughs> That reference was perfect to me, though. I, I, yeah. I always love a good basketball reference. Yeah, I, I thought you'd like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he can. He's like, you know, he, he's a Vince Carter, you know, so he's right. going to go and under his legs and, and dunk on someone, some yeah. poor guy. So, yeah. you know, I get it, but it's like, it's just not for me. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, no, they, they, they definitely are those where they, there's a little bit too much uh, painting of the picture and, yeah, but I mean, he's doing something right. Yeah, you know, people love him. So yeah, yeah. And uh, we were talking earlier about ratings, and Chris has a whole video about ratings and different star ratings. <laughs> it's well, so interesting to me, Chris. You got to educate me, man. Like I again, this is I'm really learning as I go on this thing. It's it's been out. It's been out for two weeks. My book has been out two weeks, and again, I just heard of Goodreads. <laughs> I'm learning what there's something else called Book Hub, which are Book Bub, that I, I, I I'm not yeah. I'm not familiar with. So like all these things, all these ratings, uh, it's all news to me, and I'm uh, I need I need to learn, I need to learn the uh, the strategy on these uh, these sites. I I actually think from speaking, I think you've already worked it out because my my kind of thing for me was like. I'm not even a consistent reader. It's a bit like you were saying about that person's review when they wrote the review and they kind of give it three stars at the end. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And and you read it and go, as the person that's consumed the review, and go, well, it seems better than a three star if you read it. <laughs> right. But, you know, it might have been like a knife edge for that person because they have to pick a three or a four. You know, and mm-hmm. that's very much it. Some people will have a five star review reserved only for about three books in their entire life. And some people will um, do it. I, I'm very aware of it when we do these kind of things and work when you're putting Likert scales, the kind of rating things one to seven, right? There is quite a large proportion of the world that will never rate anything one or seven at all. And yet some of the measurements of those uh, results will only consider a one or a seven as the results. They take everything out of the middle. Mm-hmm. So actually, if the two, those things are completely inconsistent. So I just stopped rating altogether. When I, I just it was actually torturing and actually I was reading the book and at various points of the book when I stopped reading thinking to myself well what, what rating would I give this now and it sort of creates this ridiculous pressure on the reader to kind of formulate <laughs> an opinion on the book rather than consume it you know what I mean yeah, rather than consume yeah. the art so I was, I was like no let's just read the damn thing get to the end and think to myself <laughs> is this worth recommending do i think so other people would get enjoyment out of reading this and mm-hmm. regardless of whether that's a three four five whatever way you think but is it interesting enough that you got enjoyment and think other people should read it that's really what a review is about and you can go yeah. into the text about it then if you want to and give the reasons why but the number is so irrelevant in that conversation if you want other than aggregators are seeking to, to use it as a commodity 
because that's really yes. what Amazon are doing at, at that yes. time. It's useful for them. They're farming user data in a way to represent and give it value for them. But yes. I don't know if it's necessarily doing the same thing for the reader. And especially, and I, I make this point in the video, especially for a book like yours, doing this been out for two weeks. You know, something that has a low number of reviews. Early mm -hmm. on, those couple of reviews can be so important in future sales for that. It's different if a book has a million reviews. I can read it a one star or five star. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter. matter. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I, I, I just it, For me, it was a personal preference for that. And, and I know some people have very strict, what they would call very strict things of, oh, I give this 82% because of the metric that I have in my spreadsheet that I have. Well, I love that. But I still always look at these people's ratings and go, you've rated every book this year between a 76 and an 83 yeah. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I kind of go, then that's not real. You're not using the full range there either. Uh, what and especially you, for for books. What if you came across the best book you had ever read? You just randomly mm. read this book, and it's just it. It's the best thing you ever read. Would you then dip into giving it a five star? Or would you still? In general, read, if not, I'm forced to give, if I, if I'm if I have to give a book a rating, and sometimes Goodreads kind of says you have to give this book a rating. Sometimes I just give everything they five do. stars. Like it, it doesn't matter at that stage. Well, they kind of get you know if I finish it in Kindle, they say no rating, and I'm never sure whether no rating means that you sort of DNF'd it or it doesn't count mm. it or something. Whether that is a zero rating, is that is that a zero rating or is that you know I'm not sure. So I, if my general rule is, unless it's a book that has thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of reviews. If it's a book that's below that that marker, I'll just and I liked it, I'll give it five stars because realistically, I'm just saying to somebody this is worth reading. Okay, okay, good. And I, and some people hate that view. Some people absolutely like that's a thing. No, they like the creative process and getting involved and crafting yeah. review and all the rest, and that's fine. Yeah. And you you do you, but there are no real guidelines other than you know give me, give me a number at the end. Yes, so hmm. no, I think that I think that's great. I, I think yeah, especially in the beginning, it does. At least for me, it means something. You know, let's see that that five star. Just not for the quality of the book, because this is a. a I'll whisper this. I don't think it's a perfect <laughs> book in, in any way, shape, or form. But I, I would rate Cut books that better. <laughs> yeah. Cut that bit. <laughs> I wouldn't say it's worth a five star or perfect score, hundred percent. But I do think I do like it. I do think it's a good book. But I think there are people who can write better than me and there are books out there that are better than mine. But what I do appreciate about the five stars that people pop on there is that in the very beginning, it does sort of boost the score. Hopefully it gets, it's a recommendation to somebody else to say, hey, um, check this book out or something like that. So it's good. Yeah. My other problem with it, of course, if it's a Goodreads versus an Amazon review, an Amazon review for most things that you buy off Amazon is about the quality of the product and the build of the product, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. People rate books on Amazon critically as a two-star or a three-star in terms of the content. But what actually happens in Amazon is if you read it two or three, they think that book is defective and as yeah. in build quality. You know, it is not the <laughs> right. same thing as a Goodreads written. So I, I was yeah. like very careful about Amazon reviews. That's like, whoa. Yes. You get something yeah, yeah, delisted. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. No, exactly. Exactly, yeah. I've seen that before too. It's like I bought the book and there were tears on the side and something like that. It's yeah. two star what? That's yeah. It's yeah. not your fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For right. instance. Yeah. You see that all the time. Book came damaged one star. Like <laughs> Yeah. It's not the book's fault. <laughs> yeah. But 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 actually and 
I would say in that case, they're using the Amazon ratings correctly for Amazon, if you know what I mean, mm. because that the, your, that is what that rating system is supposed to do in some ways. Because if Amazon printed it and as using print on demand, then that would need to be fed back. But I mean, mm. it's it's they, they would need guidelines on on creative artistic products versus you know a mop or a, right. <laughs> you know a screw, set of screwdrivers or something like that. You know, they they are not using the same rating system at all. Right. Yeah, I was just checking on uh, Goodreads, and Andron has over a thousand reviews, and we talked oh. last time. That's pretty damn good. Well, if it's not a two star at them. I've taught myself around again. There we go. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, yeah, really uh, good though. I mean, yeah, it's Amazon promotion. I think they do. Um, they do a good job of of promoting the book, so. They get it out there on that Kindle Unlimited, I think, and mm-hmm. therefore it's, it's basically free to a lot of people. So that that helps. But, uh, yeah. I don't know how I'm supposed to get paid in that system, though. But it's uh, it is and they are doing their thing. So we'll see. It does get. A I lot think of- the way that it works, I don't. If it hasn't changed, I think you get paid by page reads. So That's however right. many pages. Um, someone reads and you get a, a certain amount of each time they turn the page, I think unless they changed it. No, that's correct. That's correct. But that's the way it used to be. Um, so if like, if I, if I download it on Kindle Unlimited and I read 200 pages, then you still get credit for the 200 pages that I read. Or if I set it down and for whatever reason, cause I got busy or whatever, you still get the page reads on, um, on Amazon. I see. So it's okay. kind of an, I mean, I guess there's, there's, pros and cons to it but it's kind of nice to be able to just check out a book and be like is this for me or is this isn't for me and right you get a few and the author rates. still gets a little something on, on the side yeah i need to mm-hmm. find out how much per page that's thank you steve don't mm-hmm. let me know that. uh i was surprised because a lot of authors about especially in the fantasy community have shared exactly how much they made from book sales and kindle how much they you know even per book and i was surprised mm-hmm. like if they're selling the book for five dollars or something as as an ebook how close the read and Kindle Unlimited is in terms of earning them the same money. Wow. As, mm-hmm. you know, being on the cut, like, I was like, oh, I thought, like, buying the book would definitely give you, be better for the author, you know, in terms of supporting them or or that kind of stuff. And it's, you may as well read it in Kindle Unlimited, realistically, because of the the ease of transaction and, and the way mm-hmm. that that, is set, that sort of encourages you to read as much as you like. You know, consume Are more. Are they about, about even as far as the financial it's, buying it's, the paper it's not yeah it is not as big a gap as you would seem on the, on the on the ones that i've seen in terms of the sharing like i was i was like okay i thought mm. it was going to be like i thought you were going to see some like 50p versus three three dollars you know i thought yeah. it was going to be to to that level because if, if a book selling for that and even the print and demand copies it's amazing to me how little the author gets out of the the paperback cost of that or otherwise i'm like for a 17 dollar mm. book or something it's like what Right. That's yeah. insane. That's good to know. That's yeah. good to know. Yeah. Yeah. For a long I time, I most... always tried to buy the paperback version, and it's less. It's less than for the others. It's sad. Yeah. It's less the paperback compared to hard hardcover. You're saying or paperback compared to ebook. Yeah, I think they deduct material and handling and some other stuff when you buy a paperback. So, it, I think if you have the I think authors earn more 
from an ebook than they do anything else. I think I might be wrong, but from what I've been told. Am I, am, I, am I on the right track, Chris? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm very rough figures in my head, and I'm totally making this off the top of my head, but say a $15, $17 paperback sale is $3, $4 or something to the author, something like that out of that spend, which is about what they were getting from the ebook sale of $5 or whatever it was, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Which is about the same as what you're getting out of Kindle Unlimited, you know, around the same. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, you know, it doesn't matter what way you're consuming the book. Other than if you really like a physical copy of something and you like the artwork that goes with it, that's what you, you like to fill yourselves like Steve and possibly me uh, behind us with, with, <laughs> with looking up and going, I like that book, I like that book, I like that book, I didn't like that one, uh, etc. <laughs> you know, that right, kind of record right. of your reading that you sometimes have. Uh, it, it, it seems to be a lot closer than I would have anticipated, let's put it that way, you know, it's, it's, that's it. I feel like I'm getting an education here, guys. This is this is very good. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate. Bear that. mind, this may all be false information. Like I really don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, the heart of it. Yeah. <laughs> don't listen to me. Uh, uh, you know, we we talk a lot to other authors, and I, I I've been yeah. I'll um. I I think it's still the same. But when it last I heard that it was by page count that you would get a certain percentage from page count. So. Um, so I guess the good thing is even if someone grabs it and says, is it, I'm, I'm going to give this book a try and they read 100 pages and say, oh, this isn't for me, at least you still get the 100 page. Um, I, I think someone had told me that they put a minimum on pages now, but I might be wrong. I, I'm not quite sure, but and yeah. They did recently change how it was distributed as well because they put the price kind of limited up and they kind of changed the the calculation ever so slightly that it was like the total amount of money that comes in for kindle unlimited they kind of share it between the authors and and the books books have been read then but uh yeah that's right yeah so it is yeah so yeah you're right chris so it is like whoever pays into the pool for kindle unlimited that's where the money comes from so -hmm. then they divvy out that money so yeah, I forgot. That's another. They did that uh, quite do. recently. Uh, yeah, that, that mm-hmm. was that was a change, I, I believe. But again, I'm spitballing them. I'm only going through things that I've seen in passing. Some people have done really uh, minute breakdowns of literally to the pound of mm-hmm. a dollar of exactly what they got from which source and how many copies that constituted, etc. So there's a lot of very open transparency about earnings as an author especially as a self-published author, you know, doing it yourself and the, yeah. the costs that went into it and how they're never going to see a return on investment, not probably for five or ten years or so. Uh, it seems like a minefield in some ways. <laughs> yeah. I'm curious as to, cause, because I found it more challenging generally to earn money in the book industry than in the film industry. Now, of course, I've been in the film industry longer and I'm now starting in the, in the book industry. Just my advanced on these two books compared to the TV show that I work on is it's they're miles, miles and miles and miles away. I do enjoy the reason why I write the book is that I love telling this story. I would not be able to do this on film. They only, you know, like we talked about horror or, you know, low budget horror or what, whatever, or Marvel movies. So I'm able to tell this story in, in book form, but if I'm looking at the financial side of it, I do earn a lot, lot more um, working on Fire Country. Do you guys consume more books or do you consume more in film and television, would you say? Hmm. I mean, it's not close for me. More uh, film and TV? Well, 
my, 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 even my spend per month on film is embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> That's is one that of the things that kind of hope with books is that, that it would be kind of lessen you know, my overall spend because a film I'd consume in two hours, even with special features, it'll maybe stretch to four, maybe mm. possibly five. A book's doing me days, weeks maybe sometimes at an end, but uh, no. Uh, I'm an idiot, though. Mm. No. no, I mean, you, you like what you like, you're you into what you're into, I feel like. Yeah. But you would say... I'm inspired on a daily on, basis. That's... It's based on the subscriptions or also movie theater tickets, you and... A bit of everything, but I, I, I buy a lot of physical media, Dwayne, so I buy a oh, lot of discs for... I it's I treat, it, I treat it like a film school. Uh, it's very much you look into the creative process for an awful lot of these, especially in the, yeah. in the older or independent-made movies. It's like a, an area of complete and utter fascination for me. Every time I watch even the worst movie, I'm like, yeah, but how did they go about doing it? They obviously had no money. It's the same kind of thing we were talking about beforehand. They had no money. How did they make? Yeah. How did they do that on like so much money? Like one of the ones, me and Steve. Steve did um twenty four or was it 30, 30 a twenty four movies or twenty four movies? Uh, twenty four a twenty four movies. That's right. So we were going through some wow. of those movies, which are independently produced by you know tour creators, and how low some of those budgets were for how incredible it looks on the screen was. It was uh-huh. kind of a recurring theme, you know. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. That sounds fun. 24 A24s in 24 hours. That's that's cool. Was it... Uh, a ghost story was really good. It ended yeah. up being one of my favorites. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good. Very quiet. Like a quiet horror kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool one. Yeah. I enjoyed it too, which is, which is weird for me. I, I tend not to like a film like that, but I did enjoy that, that film. Yeah. David Lawrence is a genius. Hmm proper genius brilliant brilliant filmmaker but yes uh, books I thought was going to be a cheap thing but as has often been said book buying and book reading are two very different hobbies Mm. Mm. very true very very true yeah yeah yes well you guys are you you fast readers because a book might be able like you Mm. no because because if you buy a book it might how long does it take you to read it a one that you like Generally, a few days. About a week, I would say. In About general, if I if I do if I do four books, proper books a month, I'm pretty happy. Yeah. yeah. Well, then. Uh, yeah. That's taking up, you know, like you buy a, a movie. That's probably two hours, three hours and change. So you can you know you can consume a lot more on that side. The book helps to save a little bit of money. Yeah. That's good. That's, yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, here, Dwayne, you want to hear uh, how low return you're getting out of YouTube creation? Like Steve has done his transparency videos on his spend on YouTube versus his return, and even this podcasting game, Steve, you big big return this oh, week. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm uh, I can retire. Yeah, <laughs> I'm taking my seven cents and going home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's interesting to me, though, is, and I wonder if there's, there's a similarity to this. I do not make a lot of money off of writing books. Um, and if I just did the TV, you know, wrote on TV and occasionally sell a movie, I could easily, you know, that, that could be 
that could do it for me financially. I wonder, is it the same for you with the podcasting and everything else? Um, is it the love of it? I'm even uh, on YouTube. I think I have 2,300 or 20, I don't know, over 2,000. I don't make anything from that. But mm. there's re- but there's also reasons because you can, on YouTube, you can pick and choose where to put ads. And I always put ads at the very end where you can choose to put them all, as often as you want. So some people put them at the beginning, in the middle, and at the end or certain points. So you can make it so you can't skip. So if you want to watch something, you have to watch it. I always do skippable ads at the very end. Mm. So I don't, I'm not pushing it. Like I, right. I don't want I don't want someone to watch and then have to sit through an ad for about a cheeseburger or whatever it may be. Right. So I don't make anything, but it's, even if I did really push awesome. it, I mean, even like the, even like Mike's book reviews, he has like what a hundred thousand yeah, subs. 100, and, yeah. Yeah. And he, I don't think he makes much of, I don't, he, he can't live off of it. He can't, it's, I think he makes a few hundred bucks a month. Something like that. Yeah. I think is what, Last I heard, but I don't, I don't think it's anything you can do full time unless you have more like a million. I think books are too niche to. Yeah. Yeah. Way too. I think you can. Like I, I, I it's easy for me to say because I don't have a big subscriber count or anything. But I honestly think if I did, I would have to pack it in. Like I think the expectations, the engagement you would have would be at a point where it would become work. Right. So right. that's why that's why it's easier for me to come on Steve's channel. <laughs> have the conversations and do the things that are fun about this whole whole space yeah. you know t- yeah, yeah, talk yeah. to cool creators talk to people create content have interesting conversations and just turn it off at the end of the day you know that's where the fun is and like you say you're not doing it for any monetary return at all but if it didn't have it i have to find another creative outlet somewhere right. to balance out right. the stresses of life or whatever else you're going to do you know right mm-hmm. you guys say and you know I heard you say earlier you don't think you could write a book, or um, at least you said it. I, I don't know if you could or, you, or if you have a plan, but um, there is like everyone has that, like you said, that creative outlet. I think as a human being, you have that everyone, you know, even people who don't think they, you know, they have that creative thing inside of them and they need to get it out in some way. So it's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely need it. That's for sure. Yeah, I think uh, I, I I mean, it's it amazes me that people will will hitch their livelihood on a, a platform like YouTube when YouTube can change their policy tomorrow about what they pay creators. Yeah, and you're out. So there's you have to have other like a some kind of like Patreon or something else that you can depend on on um, on revenue. But yeah, if if you can do it, I mean, but I don't. I yeah, not, not for me. This is all just for fun. I don't. I've spent way more in like equipment than I ever will ever get back. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, and I'm fine yeah. with that. I, I enjoy it. So yeah. it's okay. Yes. Same, same, same. And that for me, interesting, that's, that's what novels are for me. Um, I know I'm not going to get, I'm, I'm, my sales aren't blowing any, you know, they aren't breaking records or anything like that. And, but I still want to write another book. Um, I, I have an idea, I want to write it, and I think I'll continue writing books, even though it's making my filmmaking life more challenging. I used hmm. to want to be a big Oscar, like I'm talking when I was 20, a long, long time ago. Uh, <laughs> Three years I wanted ago. to. <laughs> yeah. 
20 years <laughs> um, I just revealed my oh, age man. there um, but like I, I wanted to be a big name director Oscar winner director all that like I wanted that as I've worked in this industry more I am very happy just working on a TV show where the ending you may be able to tell what it is at the beginning um, that type of show where it's it's sort of formulaic it's go fight the fire I can earn enough to uh, to pay my rent and um, I work with really nice people and I think that's you know that's that's the most important thing I probably won't be getting any Oscars and writing books takes a lot of time away you know it takes my free time because I, I work on the show and then my free time is writing the books and then I don't earn anything on the books but it's still it's so it's it's very satisfying it's very satisfying to, to work on the novel so that's yeah so that's my feelings on sort of working on on books on the side. And you're sort of, from hearing you speak to him, you're lucky in the position that it's not like your day job you hate. And you're trying to find an mm. avenue out of it, if you know what I mean. You know, you're yeah. trying to find a balance creatively in to not turning the creative part of your life into your job where it does become work and you don't have the release from it. Yes. I think I see lots of opportunities for people that work in creatives that are like, well, what do you do for fun? Like, what, like mm-hmm. if I was a musician, I've turned music into my job and now what? Like, I'm really stuck. I really don't know mm. what to do. And I think about people like Keith Flint, who was in The Prodigy, ended up killing himself, I think, a lot, because where was his release? Like, where could he wow. put his, his channel, his negative thoughts and stuff into, if that was his job and that became his pressurized part of it? And mm. I think you've got to find that balance for yourself in your life, in yes. the how separating, separating church and state, separating work and play, you know? 100%. 100%. No, I... Um yeah, I think, you know, if I, if I had all the creative power in the world, what I would be doing as a filmmaker is creating something like Foundation, something very big, epic science fiction. Um, I don't have that flexibility, so I work on Fire Country, and on the side I write a Foundation-esque big science fiction story. So, like you said, balance, finding that balance between the two. Sounds like you gotta figure it out, don't I? Gotta tell you. Mm. <laughs> so I had a question about Foundation, um, and I'll try to ask it in a non-spoiler, spoilery way. But I recently watched it, um, and it 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 almost felt like there was different writers for different sections of the of the series. It almost felt like it was like different people wrote different characters and different storylines. Does that happen, or is it usually the same group that writes the entire? series or the season or episode or whatever it's the same group but it is individual writers writing individual episodes so the showrunner probably will take on more episodes but when i say more for a 10 episode series he's probably taking on two at most three episodes that he's writing Hmm. and the other writers are writing one or two episodes the co the higher up the higher up you are probably the more episodes you're getting but a staff writer will write at least one episode so you Hmm. might get eight seven writers on one show so yeah i think one thing that we do try to do in the writers rooms is have a good variety of people to speak you know you you want a woman in the room or women in the room in general so that you know you don't have 10 dudes in there writing the women on the show you want you want other voices in there so um like you said writing different characters maybe there was um sometimes two people will write one script and you get one man, one woman, 
you know, different people of different sexual orientations or races writing those episodes. So that's always helpful um, in those types of shows. And I think um, Foundation is, you know, it's a sci-fi show living, you know, in a different universe. And they still do place gender and racial um, dynamics a little bit. Um, but yeah. on our shows, it, it, it really is helpful in a simple, in the most simple of way, uh, ways, non-controversial way, is like even knowing what young people say, you know, nowadays. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know what the 16-year-olds are saying, <laughs> what slang they're using. So it is helpful to have a staffed writer who is 22, fresh out of college in the writer's room, and they can be like, we don't say raise the roof anymore, which in my day we used to say raise the roof. Nobody says that anymore. So it's good to have that, that point of view. Yeah. 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 yeah there was one storyline in particular that just felt really, had a really different feel to it. It just felt very, mm. it, it felt like it was a whole different series. Sometimes that's a director as well. Sometimes you get a director mm. who has a different type of vision and they direct the episode in a way that's, I don't know. Sometimes it's not, the, the overall feel of the series should have the same general vibe, right? You don't want one episode to feel like Quentin Tarantino and the other episode to feel like, you know, um, Spielberg, right? But so um, the directors are supposed to Fit in a certain, you know, they have they have space, they have a sandbox, but try to stay within that fat sandbox. You have a little flexibility, but um, yeah, it's yeah, could be the director, maybe it was the writers. I have no hmm. idea. What season are you on, by the way? Yeah, no, I was just curious. I just finished season one last week, so okay. I'll be starting season two soonish. Interestingly enough, I just watched the se- the season two finale one hour ago, just mm. before we got on. Nice. Oh, okay. And what do you? What were your non-spoilery thoughts? I I thought it was okay. I thought I liked episode nine better. Episode nine would have been a good um, season finale. See, so a, a lot happens. I'll say that, and I I, I think. This is one of the big problems with shows, or the difficulty with shows, um, is there was a lull in the middle of the season where it wasn't as exciting. You could have pulled some of that stuff back because we got so many big moves in this last episode that it was, it's tough to really let it sink in because there's some very big ideas, some very big things happen, and it's you don't get to really digest that because the next scene, something else big is happening. And maybe non-spoilery way, someone might perish, right? So it's like, you know, it's like big thing happens, big thing happens, somebody dies, like there's, there's a lot. So I, I wish they had pulled some of the bigger reveals earlier so that we can... Um, have more time to digest some of the really juicy things that happens in the episode. But it, it, it was okay. It, it was solid. Not to give it a rating, but 7 mm. out of 10. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that must be so... That must be so... 
so different to my experience in some ways although I, I think when you consume a lot of media you do but you're looking at it from a professional point of view like mm-hmm. you're very con- you're more conscious of pacing for sure and yeah. more conscious of you know the, the the timings than somebody else might be they might come away from it and reflect on that and get there but you'd be doing it in the moment i would imagine because it's your profession yeah. If yes, that makes yeah, sense, yeah. 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 And I know one of the writers that we have on Fire Country also wrote on this show. And she, okay. she, she revealed some of, you know, some, some of the great things about uh, the experience that she had on that show. Yeah. Hmm. yeah. Uh, like, I haven't got a couple of episodes in, but it is classically one of those shows that they thought was unmakeable or unfilmable. Mm. Yeah. you know in some ways and, and that that was taken on as a project and still going after two series at a 7 out of 10 thing I'd say is a massive success for yes. for the future of sci-fi in some ways so like mm-hmm. that's yeah. why, why I think we've talked about this in terms of fantasy shows you don't get that many of them and with good, valor and different we sort of need to celebrate the ones that we do have for I the agree. good that they have and not pick them apart I agree I agree I think it's yeah what what was that show that came out recently that uh, One Piece and getting another season because mm-hmm. a lot of these shows die after one season you know so it's because mm-hmm. they're expensive it, yeah a lot of times yes yeah 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 it, was it a Netflix show because I know Netflix is notorious for canceling things right away you talking about One Piece One Piece, one Piece? was Netflix mm-hmm. yeah um, Foundation mm-hmm. is on Apple. Which Apple, Apple is yeah, interestingly yeah, yeah, Apple. enough, like sneakily, a great sci-fi uh, place for sci-fi. Between that show, they mm-hmm. have another called War of the Worlds or something like that. Um, so the invasion surface invasion, silo. Right, that's what it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, silo. Silo is yeah, um, brilliant. Yeah. Hmm. So good. So good. And they also have um, Severance, which I thought was low-key pretty oh, yeah. good. Yeah pretty good 9 out of 10 yes yes I agree I agree I have to say it does uh, actually Silo and Severance were were like see as far as writing it's the same goes for books and movies TV all the rest of them when if you can write an episode of TV where the thing that's about to happen on screen the person watching it is about two seconds ahead of you especially at moments of high drama that is the best feeling in all of storytelling that you just know just before you see it exactly what's got to happen yeah. for an extended period of time. Severance does that in about the last three episodes better maybe than anything else that, that I've agree. ever seen. It's just phenomenally good. And there's such a high level of excitement when you have that feeling. You're like, yeah. no, you didn't. Like, that's, that's what's coming out your mouth. Like, I don't believe you did this. Like, and then it hits and then it, it, it's, it's so satisfying. Yeah. And it, it really does. Because... Does that excellent? Yeah, because there's so much you have to do crafting to give this viewer enough to, enough seeds, enough of a thing without giving the game away. Like you yes. just held back that last bit of information. You go, oh, and then and <laughs> yes. then and then the season ended. Right, right. No, it's 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 yeah, so well yes. done. And I just love the concept too. It's like. My other half is an asshole. Like, you know, like you're split into two people and it's like, wow, that other version of me is so shitty. But do they even know that they're that shitty because they don't remember anything from the, they don't know how much suffering I'm in. I only work. Yeah. I work. You know, it, it's there, there's so much. It's so good. So good. 
Nine point hmm. five. I, I I outbid you. You say nine out of ten. I say nine point five out of ten. Oh, we're doing point five. You may be right. You may be right. I, mean, I, I think it is exceptional. I think it is. I think it's yeah. really right up there. Really. Yeah. Hmm. And Silo is good too. Yeah, I enjoyed Silo. Yeah. Oh. It, it, last episode, that was exactly the same thing. It's like, oh, 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 oh that means, but that means, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it does the same thing, and I think that's where speculative fiction does that kind of stuff probably better than than a lot more other genres in a lot of ways. They can do it in dramas, uh, murder mystery dramas, that crime detective. They can do it to a certain point, but yeah, I find that there's are more more action or more much more exciting in the moment rather than kind of. A developing a world or a thread or a thought because speculative fiction kind of you don't know everything that's going on and you can play with that a little bit more yeah wow lots more to watch now I, yeah <laughs> and, and Apple has Ted Lasso and Ted Lasso's just the greatest I've never seen Ted hmm. Lasso before and oh. I've heard so many good things I just haven't it's it made my my Mount Rushmore. Uh, that's not actually not that popular. At, 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 <laughs> Mount Rushmore TV series. Okay, let, 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 let me hear it. But, or at least one or two more. Besides, so some of them are obvious. The Wire, uh, okay. West Wing, very West very Wing. kind okay. of obvious choices. Um, Veronica Mars, Friday Night Lights, oh. and Ted Lasso. They're okay. they're my top five. Okay. Ted Lasso, then I do need I do need to really watch it. I just it's one of those things where it's like I know this is an investment of time. Have you guys ever done that? It's like I know it's probably going to be pretty good. Everyone says it's good, but if I do this, then that's like I think it's three seasons. So it's like oh, I have to. First series is all half an hour, which makes it easy. I'll, I'll give you the, I'll give you the quick pitch for for somebody else. Now that I know your age, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Do you like the movies Major League? Yeah. Yes. First series is Major League for soccer. Mm. Mm. Cool. cool. Except it's way clever. than Again, there's a writer's room that details are phenomenally important. There's nothing. like, and I mean, people have picked apart all of these episodes. I'm on one of those Facebook groups where people just go in. I've just been done my 15th rewatch of this. And do you know that in episode two, this seed was planted? And then it came. Like, everything is to the point. It's so wow. clever. Wow so clever hmm. it's on my to watch list it's definitely on my to watch yeah. list I, uh, I love it and it, since it's on your Mount Rushmore that's that's very high praise and I also wow. I'll say one more thing right what makes it different is at the moment when you create and set a storyline to create drama throughout the storyline throughout the thing what Ted Lasso does you're not supposed to do it does so. I, I was actually going to do a full YouTube video on it once to say how it breaks narrative and writing convention because it does mm. the one thing that you're not meant to do in terms of, and that's one of the things that makes it so brilliant. It's another episode nine ish thing, nine out of ten, I think it is, or eleven or twelve. I think it's episode nine. It does it, and it's like, right, you're not meant to do that, but that's oh. what gives it such power. That's what gives it such such a, a thing to it. I may be overselling it. See, this is where you, what the expectation of you were talking about. I should have given you yeah, numb yeah. and you come to that realization yourself. Yeah, but there you go. Okay. Well, you now, hmm. but you, you do help pull people into the show though because now I'm very curious about that episode 9 to 10, or uh, 9 of 10, what they're doing narratively. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. Hmm. What about you, Dwayne? What are your top five? 
You asked me a tough question. I never have these things prepared, so it's always really, really bad. I can tell you my number one very easily. I know what my number one um, show of all time is. Let me put it, put, I have three in my head so far for... Far country. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you give me the right answer. Um, first is fire country. Number one is fire country. I'm legally obligated to say that. Fire Country is uh that's that's one of five. Number two, um, I'd have to go with Seinfeld. I thought Seinfeld was extremely clever, um, but ahead of its time, I don't think it hmm. it would break any mm-hmm. barriers today. But I think what it did yep. for its time was um, was excellent. Um, I'm going to say this one is controversial. It's uh, because I didn't like the last two seasons of this show, but Game of Thrones, um, just because they did so much in those first, was it six, five or six seasons, that was so new and revolutionary and, and, and great. I thought they, it was a fantastic, fantastic show um, for those first six seasons or so. And I... I really, really still think, for me, one of the best hours of TV was Battle of the Bastards, and I, yeah. I, I can't, oh, wow. can't, can't get over it. So I'll still give them a lot of respect, even though it's, you know, I, I, I more than most really hate what they did with the last two seasons, because I, I think there's a way to end things where you don't completely drop the ball. You know, like you can end it in just that was meh, you know, like a a five, Mm -hmm. but to go all the way down and really drop the ball, that's, and I think it's my opinion, and this may not, you know, may not be true. It feels like they did it because they they had had enough. Like the writers were like, man, we were on this seven seasons. We want to do Star Wars. I think they had a deal for Star Wars. They had other stuff going on. And they're like, yeah, let's just scribble it on paper real fast and then put it out there as opposed to really put in the time in, which you did in the first six seasons. Um, mm. And um, I, you know, it's unfortunate. But anyway, uh, Game of Thrones. And um, I really, really enjoyed Breaking Bad. I'll put that up there. And number one, easily and by far, is Dark. I am ah, enamored with that show. I love, love Dark. Um, so that's my that's my top five all time. What's your Steve? Come on, like that's a pretty heady mix. There, he's got his comedy, he's got the fantasy, he's got the sci-fi. You know, that's a pretty good list. Win. That's pretty. And good. the fire country. Um, I think number one would be dark. Yeah, yeah, okay. fire country. Fire country. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, I think dark would be. I think probably number one. Okay, uh, for me. Think uh, Curb enthusiasm because I'm, I'm one of those mm-hmm. people who think Curb is better than Seinfeld. Mm. Okay, um, I like Curb too. I like Curb a lot. Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I, when Larry David left Seinfeld, there was a big drop off. I thought season five or so after that, it gets really. Okay, I did not know yeah. that. I didn't know he left. I did not know. Okay. Yeah, uh, and I st- to this day, I still refuse to watch the last episode of Seinfeld. I've never seen it, and I never it's will. Not good. I don't it's want that good. tainting my memory. Yeah, good. I good. won't watch good it. Good decision. Good decision. Yeah, we'll not do it. Um, I think Breaking Bad, The Wire, and probably I don't know. As I'm, it toss it between 
the first five seasons of Game of Thrones or Lost as a whole. When you go the whole, there's a lot of bad episodes of Lost, though. There's a lot That's of what, them. There's a lot of really great episodes too, though. So it's hard to. But if it was, if Lost was three seasons shorter, it probably would have been. I think the creators the would show. completely agree with you on that. I think they were forced into a situation where they had yes. to just write more. Yes. Mm. They yeah. talked about that many times uh, about that. So when they got to do other work, they had like, a, this is going to be two series worth, or otherwise, mm. this is what you're going to get out of that. But uh, yeah. Lost, I still enjoy. It just it just never delivered on the promise that it, that it gave you. Yes. Mm. At the start. I agree so much. So 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 agree. Yeah. So The first two seasons are so so good. Yeah. Mm. Um, One of the all-time great pilot episodes. That that feeling you talk about, that knowing what's happening one second before. I remember when they did the, because it it was um, it was flashbacks. When you realized that that one was a flash forward. I almost like that yes. was oh, yes, one yes, of yes. my all-time great TV moments. That blew my mind. Um, so that was yeah. yeah, that was really good. Yeah. So good. Yeah. We talked about yeah. that the other week. It, it was the show that did the whole thing about oh my god, if only I knew what the numbers meant, but everything else would make sense. And then mm-hmm. you get to a certain point, and then they bring the hatch, and then you go. All the numbers aren't important, but if I know what the hatch is, then then I'll know exactly what's going on. And then if I, but the button, but the, the button, if I know what happens, the button. I don't care about the hatch, but, but the smoke. This, yeah, like the whole thing. It was, that was, that, yeah. it was like a MacGuffin. It was MacGuffin after MacGuffin, MacGuffin the whole time along to kind of yeah. you know draw in to watch another season, which was right. great fun. Like yeah, I, I, I can't yeah. state that I didn't have great fun doing it, but at the end you were like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's that, still better than the end of Game of Thrones, so. Yeah, that was exactly my feeling. That was exactly, exactly my feeling. I was like, what? Um. <laughs> but Game of Thrones though, has some great, like, um, Hard Home. Uh, the when I don't know if either of you know which episode. The I guess most people have seen Game of Thrones by now, but the episode where they try and get the North, uh, the Northern. Um, the wildlings to join them and oh, yes, the yes, yes. walkers come. That was a great wow sequence. Yeah. The last twenty minutes of that episode is amazing. Yes. So they had really highs and then there's like really lows too. Yeah. So it's tough. Yeah, it's a shame what happened to that show. It is. It, I, is. it really it's a shame. is. I I have that other connection to it, and that it was all filmed around here, so I can kind of walk around the place mm. and see the show. So. Mm. And the museum and all's here. The sets are still available mm. to be seen, and wow. you could do the tour of. Oh. So, I have like a. I was going to do a podcast episode many, many years ago called "Living in Game of Thrones Land" when it was in the middle of it. You know, because a lot of people worked in the show, a lot of people were extras in the show. I had relatives that used to book their summer holidays every year to be extras on the show when it was filming, wow. and they dreaded being killed off because they were killed off in one scene they were done for they couldn't be extras anymore that was kind of in their like extras contract and stuff so they were like oh no so yeah very interesting experience that's yeah. pretty cool though to be killed off in Game of Thrones yeah that's, absolutely I agree that's, that's, yeah yeah piece of history yeah yeah to be killed off I, Michael R. Fletcher DM'd me the other day and said he wanted my name so he can kill me in a, in a book in one of his books <laughs> I'm like that is like the I can I'm done like I'm, I'm good now like I there's no other there's no other that's like the peak 
to be killed horribly in a book. I was like, I'm good. I'm good. I can, I can, Is it a fantasy book? I can die happy now. But, but maybe. Yeah, I think so. This is next. Uh, I forget which one it is. City of Sacrifice or something. But so we have to call you like Sir Stephen. Of like he'd have to like pretty make prettify your name a little bit. Yeah, he's gonna change my name to be to fit the language of of the book. But he's that's like, cool. oh, I'll kill you in a good way. I'm like, cool, that's, that's pretty. Yeah, he's gonna say that, but then he's gonna kill you in like the most weebly, like <laughs> slipping your own excrement kind of uh, break your neck kind of way. You know. <laughs> It is, it is Fletcher, so yeah, it'll probably be, probably be pretty terrible. But that's cool, though. Like, I'm yeah, that's probably good. Yeah, yeah, make it interesting for sure. Yeah, you know, the, the time always flies when we just get going. We're going on almost two hours, but Dwayne, thank you for hanging out with us. Really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you guys again. Always appreciate you guys having me and educating me as well on um, some mm. book stuff and everything else. So great time. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you guys having me here. Yeah, and anytime you want to join us, let us know. We have all of the um, dates and stuff on our forum, so free to join whenever you feel like it. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I'll let you guys know beforehand, right? I, I'm not just popping in in the middle of a conversation. And... We don't care. <laughs> 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 We're pretty easy going. As you might not have, you know, it's pretty, pretty easy. All right. But uh, for people who want to find you and find your book, uh, where's the best place to find you? Sure. Um, you can go to my website, which I am still working on. So bear with me on that. It's uh, DwayneWorrell.com. Um, I'm on Twitter at DwayneWorrell. And um, find the book on Amazon or anywhere books are sold online. Very nice. And there is an, also an audiobook available too, right? Is yes. there an audio too? Yes. Um, yeah, there's not a great audiobook done by uh, Gary Teitelman, and he's, he's a great voiceover artist, and he did a great job on it. I recommend mm -hmm. the audiobook. Um, mm -hmm. It's really, really well done. Yeah, I know some people wait for the audio to, to, to be ready, so that's, a, that's big for a lot of people. They, they prefer audiobooks, so that's good stuff. And Chris, where can people find you and bother you? You can find me on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Chris Moon, M-O-H-A-N. You can find me probably on a future episode of, of uh, the Friday Conversation <laughs> or somewhere with Steve. We're doing read-longs all over the place, uh, which are all great fun. Um, or you can find me on the Patreon forums. Let's let's go for there as well. Yeah. yeah. Lots of time. Lots of time. But cool. Thanks again, everybody, and hope everyone has a fantastic weekend. Be sure and check out Androne, and I'll have all the links down below. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Take care.